Hi there. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we get started, I want to let you know about a fabulous resource available to you. If you want to lead disability awareness efforts on campus or in your classroom or in your home from a research-based social justice lens, then you definitely want to grab my trifold laminated resource entitled Beyond Disability Awareness, An Educator's Guide. This is published through NPR Inc. And in it, you'll find that I've efficiently compiled the foundational points that you'll find in my books, as well as on this podcast, and I've organized them in a way that makes disability awareness quickly accessible and convenient for busy educators and families like you. Check out the show notes or go to my website, dianapastoracarson.com, for a link to this valuable resource. Now let's get started. Welcome to the Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters podcast. I'm your host, Diana Pastora Carson. Here you'll find a safe space to learn and grow with leaders in education, disability studies, disability advocacy, and diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. Specifically, we look at how disability fits into diversity, equity, inclusion, access, and belonging and how to frame disability awareness in the context of educating K through 12 communities. This show serves educators, parents, and community members who strive to learn and or teach about disability in a research-based and respectful way, moving beyond simple awareness and diving into inclusive and socially responsive conversations. Now let's go beyond awareness. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters. Today, we have with us Dr. Leah Kelly, who has 20 plus years of classroom experience in K-12 schools. She's also an adjunct professor at the University of British Columbia with a focus on disability studies and educational practice. Leah is a neurodivergent activist film producer, storyteller, and writer. Her blog is 30 Days of Autism, where she shares her experiences, insights, and poetry. And she is the author of the newly released and highly acclaimed book, The Person Who Arrives, Connecting Disability Studies and Educational Practice for Teachers, Parents, and Others. The Person Who Arrives is a weaving of stories, art, and poetry that makes space for another way of conceptualizing disability and of being present to disabled children and students in our schools and in our lives. It is an invitation to consider the ideas and concepts of disability studies and the importance of including the perspectives and lived experience of disabled people in guiding our practice as educators and parents. It's a journey that encourages the reader to explore their biases, attending to the influence of ableism, the importance of the language we use, the models and constructs we draw upon, and the ways that these inherently shape our approach, understanding, 
and response to disability. That was the summary from Amazon. And I'm going to also add, this book is about connecting disability studies to educational practice, which is my passion. It is for teachers and parents. And as one of your reviewers says, it's for just about anyone who cares about inclusion and social justice. Enough said. Dr. Leah Kelly, we are soul sisters, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I was really, I've been really looking forward to this. So I'm delighted to be here. And thank you for your honoring and very generous introduction. I'm mm-hmm. a little bit overwhelmed. Oh, well, I'm so happy you're here. Let us begin with your why, Leah. What is your why? My friends all know that my brother Joaquin is my why and that that has extended to each student that I've ever had who didn't quite fit that that pre-written narrative of what is normal and what is valuable. So why is appreciation for the disability experience and all experiences and inclusion and belonging important to you personally? Well, that's an interesting question and a big, a big question. I was raised up to be an activist and my parents were activists. So I think I come with that preset understanding or, or just that immersion in, in social justice. And when I began teaching and relationship and and attunement are really important to me. So I was often, when I was like a primary teacher in in a a regular education classroom, I was often the placement for students from British Columbia. So inclusion is is a big thing and has been, I think, since like 1987. So inclusion in general education classrooms was the thing that, that happened. And I loved working with those students and figuring out how to make things work and working with their families and, and working with them. And, and I loved the opportunities to just create belonging and connection and community in the classroom and the opportunity to see those children flourish. And then, well, I have two children. I have a daughter who's older and then, and then my son was born and I was noticing things developmentally that just looked a little bit unusual to what I would expect because I know a lot about early childhood development. And then he received a diagnosis. So suddenly I was on the other side of the IEP table. So I took those social justice ideas and or ways of being and that attunement and wanting belonging. And now I was on the other side going home. Mm. And so just as I learned more about my son's experience, I was, I was really clear right from the beginning that the label was not a lid. It was a word that created an opening into understanding his experience and perspective. And then I very fortunately, very uh, quickly became connected with adult autistic people and became very involved in disability communities really has guided my practice. I knew that my son was going to grow up to be an autistic adult, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And I saw these things about children and I was like, that just doesn't fly. Right. This is not a childhood phenomenon. It's a, this is someone being, that's who they are. Mm -hmm. So connecting with autistic adults and other disabled adults has really guided my practice and ensuring that Harrison saw adults who are like him 
in his world and in our friendships. And he's been surrounded and mentored by disabled activists, disabled adults, and, and so have I. The why, I think that the way we conceive of disability and neurodivergence is very limiting, very stigmatized. And I recognize my privilege in being white, cisgendered, Canadian woman that has housing ability and is financially not rich by any means, but you know, like it's, I have stability and access to higher education. Yeah. And those are a lot of privileges. And it was important to me to look at uh, how I could take my actions. I started with blogging and really talking about acceptance and, and pushing back against stigma. I was involved with Boycott Autism Speaks and PACLA, Parenting Autistic Children with Love and Acceptance, and my own blog, which is really pushing back against stigma and normalizing disability, not to diminish it, not to disappear it, but to say, this is a normal part of the broad range, range of human experience. And how are we addressing? How are we responding? How are we building relationships with people, all humans, and that all humans have value? And then, well, my blog has been qu pretty quiet since 2015 <laughs> when I started my doctoral program because my writing was going there. And then subsequent to that, I, uh, like when I finished that, that's when I began my book. And I just really felt that I had this privileged access to higher education and the ability to focus in and, and work steadfastly. My brain can be all over the map, but the thing I have going for me is I'm persistent and really stubborn. So if I'm passionate about something, I can work on something for a really long time. Yeah. And I thought if I could get my foot in the door, then I'm not going alone. I will take other people with me. And in saying that, I mean, I had the opportunity to shine a light on other perspectives and bring in other resources not commonly drawn upon. I hoped that that's what I was doing with my blog. And I was like, okay, what's next? Leah, the title of your book is The Person Who Arrives Connecting Disability Studies and Educational Practice for Teachers, Parents, and Others. When you say the person who arrives, who is that that you're talking about? What do you mean? Well, it could mean the person who arrives is a layered concept, I think. And in the book, you notice that there aren't actually chapters, there's arrivals, and there's not a table of contents, there's an itinerary. And the idea of multiple arrivals, that we don't really arrive. And then it also draws upon a philosopher, Hannah Arendt's notion of natality, which is like a birth and, and how that ties in with arrivals. So when we meet someone, it's actually the idea that it's a birth for both of us that we're both changed by that interaction, mm. that new connection. Mm. Um, and so that arrival, if it's a child who arrives in your family, in your life, or in your classroom, a student who arrives, that we're both changed in that moment. And yes. we actually have the opportunity, I think, to choose how we respond in those moments. And that's very much attunement and relationship. And it speaks loudly to acceptance. And then also the idea of arriving speaks to me and my journey and my coming to understand how in writing this book, it was really important for me to situate myself and in my identity as someone who identifies as disabled, that I wasn't coming to tell someone else's stories. I was coming to tell my own story. There are stories about me with my son and we've shared those together and he's you know, listen and heard and responded to the stories and had the opportunity to say yes or no for everything multiple, multiple times. And then I've been able to pull in stories with just 
such generous permission from who I know in autistic communities that have been included. So their stories are side by side. So that idea of arrivals has multiple layers. I love that so much. It's not an arrogant statement. It's about that interaction of personal growth and learning and love between different parts of humanity. Mm -hmm. I love it. And it's about who we are in that moment when the, like, who am I when this, when this child or person arrives in my life and and how does who I am affect them and they affect me and it it just- What a liberating and empowering way to perceive those interactions as an educator with so many different bright lights coming into your existence every day, you know, from different home lives, different states of being. And, oh, I love that so much. Thank you. You talk about radical acceptance in the book as well. Can you tell us more about that concept of radical acceptance? Well, in my like research, I was trying to find like, where does this come? Because it is a term that's used in disability communities. So I was like, okay, I need to know like where. And it's it really comes from like CBT, I think, that idea of radical acceptance. But CBT? Yeah, cognitive. Cognitive behavior therapy. Yeah, I think. Okay. Or something along those ideas, dialectical behavior therapy or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I really was trying to find it more around disability. And, mm-hmm. and I, so I worked to explain it. I couldn't really find a lot. I'm not the coining person of this term. Right. No, there's a book called Radical Acceptance, but I wanted to see how you're. So uh, it's like, it's like, how do you take it's it's that welcoming. It's mm-hmm. like, I welcome you as you are. Yes. And as already perfect in this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and that acceptance that this is who you are in this moment. And now in relationship, in connection, in supporting the environment, in creating community, then we can move forward. Because, you know, gaining skills, learning as an educator, that's, we're all developing, we're all learning. So how do we support development? But I really believe it starts with that idea of radical acceptance. Like, because I've heard like, not, I mean, this isn't a quote, but that attitude is, oh, yeah, I love to have autistic students in my class. But could you just make them a little less autistic first, right? Like, sure, but could you just have them not do this? Well, they, they come in that way. And I think very early on in my teaching, my father, who's passed away, he was an educator too. And he would say, Leah, these families are not sending you their second best kids to hold back their best kids to see first how you do with them, <laughs> right? These are their best kids. Mm. These are their best children, they're mm-hmm. sending you these kids and mm. trusting that you will educate them and help them develop. Yeah. Right? I think that's really like, these are the best, the kids in your class are the best kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? The kids in your school are the best kids. They're, yeah. They're, They're best perfect. Kids. They're perfect yeah. for you. Yeah. And I, I, that really stuck with me that, that there's an honoring to mm-hmm. welcoming every kid. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. I love how in your work, you are so conscious of ensuring that everyone is at the table, Leah, that everyone's voice is heard and it's and acknowledged and that everyone's journey and story matters. Have you always been so intentionally inclusive or did you have to learn this mindset? And if so, how did you learn it? Are you still on that journey? I think I'm still on that journey. Mm. Um, 
I think very young, because I have ADD, one of the things is I would burst into a room and start a conversation. And it honestly didn't occur to me that anyone could have been having a conversation before I entered. So, <laughs> so you know, like, and I would get in trouble a lot for interrupting. And I, I have to still be conscious of interrupting. So just in my personal interactions, learning to just center myself and be a little quiet and ensure other people have space is something I'm very, very deliberate about. But that's in personal interactions. I wonder sometimes if there's internalized ableism around that and that maybe I take it too far and don't hold enough space sometimes, you know, and that's probably layered in with misogyny and a whole bunch of other things. But then there's there's another level too about space and that and taking space. And um, when I started blogging, when I started listening to people in disability communities, autistic adults, I really, really learned that sitting back and being quiet and reading and listening and learning was key. Mm. So that's, that's another layer. And then I knew that as a parent and an educator, I had immense privilege in that the tendency was for people to listen more to what I had to say than to autistic or other neurodivergent or disabled adults. Mm. So I was positioned in a way that created an opportunity for me to shine a light on other folks. work. And so to me, it's a commitment or an ethic that I can take the privilege I have and acknowledge the privilege I have and, and use it to highlight other perspectives. And that that is a, one of the tenets of disability studies is that we draw upon lived experience. And my experience in working with other educators and, and getting feedback from them on the, the, what they're learning about disability in their university programs and going to different conferences like CEC and PASH and those kinds of things. And then just being involved in teaching at the university is a, is a lot of the courses don't draw on lived experience. So professionalism informs professionalism informs professionalism. And maybe parents have some stuff in there, but the lived experience is really lacking in the way we create pedagogy. So we have a pedagogy of inclusion, but we don't practice inclusion in the creation of that pedagogy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like whose voices, inclusion. Whose voices are not- amplified and whose are left out? Right. So Mm -hmm. people think they know the answers. They know how to do this. or they're looking for the program for that, or they're doing this or doing that, but we're really not responding and relational. And I'm not saying that in a blanket statement, but I'm saying that very generalized notion of how we encounter disability is, is that we have the program and we have the answer. So how do we even take that lived experience and respond to the experience or what we're hearing from or noticing from our students? Yeah. Because they're giving us feedback. Like we know something's not working, but the tendency is to say it's not working and then locating the problem in the disabled student that it's not working. It's not working because we haven't asked the right question or we haven't right. don't have the answer yet. Right. Or there's an environmental thing or there's. How have we responded and how have we not responded? Mm-hmm. And that other idea about where we locate the problem of disability, like it's very much the medical model that we look at the person and we say the problem of disability is located in the person, right? You're the problem and that we're going to fix you rather than saying the problem of disability is located in systems mm-hmm. and structures and our response if we're willing to look at yes. the stigma, right? I love that. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you don't limit your 
inclusivity to people with disabilities. In your book, you're so conscious of including everyone and intersectional identities when people's other identities intersect with disability. Can you say more about that? Like, how did you learn to ensure that you had everybody at the table? Well, disability is not a siloed experience. It's not a siloed identity. And the intersection, you know, and as a white cis woman, I don't know how well I'm going to necessarily speak to intersectionality. I don't know if it's even my place, but I will give it a shot. (laughs) And that is that if we look at LGBTQ, to us plus people, people of other backgrounds, race, BIPOC people, people with living in poverty, geographies, how that plays out. There's so much layering at those intersections. Mm. If I understand that disability isn't like a siloed identity, then and and if I have a commitment or an ethic to draw upon lived experience, I can ensure it can matter to me, it could be my ethic, that I draw in experience from these other identities and lay and and make sure they're represented in this work. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you do that. So this podcast is focused on educators and families who want to make a difference for children with disabilities. And oftentimes they begin with what they know, which is traditional disability awareness activities. What are your thoughts about quote unquote disability awareness? Where should we be focusing in order to make the ultimate positive difference, empowering equity in the lives of kids and adults with disabilities? What mindset do we need to have? Will we achieve your why and my why by simply doing traditional disability awareness activities? I don't think so. Why not? I think we can all be aware disability exists, but until we look more deeply at what are our biases, how we conceptualize disability, how we conceive of disability and start to take on stigma and start to take on that to be disabled isn't to be less than. Mm. And that it's not to be inspirational and it's not a thing to be overcome. Yes. Uh, It doesn't mean you don't celebrate successes. And sometimes they're tiny little successes, but they're huge, right? They're they're big moments for us. But that isn't in opposition to the identity of being disabled. And I think we have an opportunity as parents, as educators, and as people who identify as disabled, and as people who are allies to people who identify as disabled, to look at how we What are our notions around disability? And do we use, do we draw upon that in ways, like they call it inspiration porn, like Stella Young has a YouTube, had a Mm -hmm. a YouTube video. Yeah, and I have an episode with Dr. Tony Saya on the topic of inspiration porn on this podcast too. Yeah. Right. And so really the use of porn is you're objectifying somebody else's experience in a way that kind of makes you feel better Mm -hmm. about yourself or your own experience or- right brings a tear to your eye or something like that. And so I don't think that's going to get us where we want to go. Is it? We're not going to tear down systems right? (laughs) and and examine what are we doing? That's perpetuating the idea that we're doing these kids a favor to include them or that they're getting an unfair advantage in having access to technology that's going to support their learning because not everybody else has that. I've worked with students who had access to a laptop or screen reader and somehow they had in their own head the message that that was giving them an unfair advantage 
And so mm-hmm. their ethic mm-hmm. was they didn't want to use it or they were right. to use it. Or right. someone had said to them somewhere along the line that it was unfair. They had an unfair advantage. And the embarrassment at, at identifying as disabled and people's reluctance to even say the word disability. And, yeah. and I think we're at a danger right now of disappearing disability, at least in Canada, under the umbrella of diversity, right? Diversity, including all of these equity-seeking groups. Mm-hmm. But if we talk about like that big umbrella diversity, I think that's an important concept. But if we can't say actually name disability in that, there's a risk of disappearing it. Of course. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Just for fun. All right. I have a few bonus questions for oh. you. All right. Beach or mountains? Oh, I guess it depends. I like them both. I can okay. say. <laughs> okay. How about I'm coffee both. or tea? Oh, again, it depends. Sometimes it's coffee and sometimes I'm sorry. I sound really wishy-washy. I'm usually like, super, <laughs> super okay, I know, I know this one dog or cat dog. Okay. <laughs> but again, I like cats, but my family is very allergic. So I have no. Okay. Okay. Well, you have a beautiful dog. Let's see. Audiobooks or paper. I really like audiobooks. Mm, but too. I can't write notes in them. I know. I know. That's the down, the one downside. Good book you've read recently. Doesn't have to be about disability studies or anything educational. Don't know if I can pull up the title, but it was a book by Ivan Coyote. And Ivan writes all these stories that are just really captivating. What is the genre? Must be biography. Okay. Or storytelling. Uh Uh-huh. I've got gender failure, tomboy. Yeah. Rebent sinner. Tomboy. Okay. All right. Next question. Favorite place to be? Probably on the beach, looking at rocks. Oh, nice. Favorite memory of your parents? Probably with my dad, the way he'd take my hand. was almost uncomfortable. I just say encouraging things and be really proud. And my Mm. mom going walking with her. Mm. She likes to walk. Lovely. If you could say one thing to students with disabilities in schools. Learn about ableism. Nice. It's a word. <laughs> you need to add an idea and a concept. Yeah. Dr. Leah Kelly, where can people find you and your work? The Facebook page called 30 Days of Autism. And I have a blog called 30, 30 Days of Autism. And, and my book's on Amazon. The Person Who Arrives, Connecting Disability Studies and Educational Practice for Teachers, Parents, and Others. And... I'm currently on, what is it, X, formerly known as Twitter. Do you have a website? I just have my 30 Days of Autism blog. I don't have a website at this point. And I'm on LinkedIn and those kinds of things. Okay. All right. Dr. Leah Kelly, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a treat to talk to you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also follow me, Diana, on Instagram at Diana Pastora Carson and at facebook.com slash go beyond awareness, or go to my website for more information at 
www.dianapastoracarson.com. Links to my books and resources can be found at dianapastoracarson.com slash store. For your free Beyond Awareness resource called How to Talk About Disability with Kids, simply go to gobeyondawareness.com slash talk. Podcast transcription and podcast guest information can be found in the show notes. Intro and outro music provided courtesy of my son, Emmanuel Castro. Thank you again. Be well, be a lifelong learner, and let's be inclusive. See you next time. Manos arriba.